0: Welcome to HMH Learning Moments. I'm Annalee, and I'm excited to share today's special episode of Teachers in America. As host Rose L. Mitchell, HMH's Chief Learning Officer, talks with Donna Grattle, who is the 2019 Oklahoma Teacher of the Year and a finalist for this year's National Teacher of the Year Award. Donna teaches environmental science and innovative research at Broken Arrow High School in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. In 2018, Oklahoma teachers, including Donna and her peers at Broken Arrow, successfully organized a walkout which lasted two weeks in order to demand better pay and increase school funding and support. Along with her students, Donna created the Aqua campaign, which provides clean water and protein for orphans in Kenya. Under her leadership, Broken Arrow High School was the first Oklahoma school to receive a Lemelson-MIT Invent Team grant. Donna also co-founded the Together Project, a collaboration between the city and the public schools Dedicated to finding environmentally friendly ways to restore and enhance the city's waterways. In addition to being an award winning educator, Donna is an Oklahoma Girls Basketball State Championship coach, a survivor co chair for Tulsa's Susan G. Komen Race for the Cure, and she holds a bachelor's and master's of science from West Virginia University. Now, let's turn it over to Donna and Rose.
1: Congratulations. You are the Oklahoma Teacher of the Year Thank you uh, for 2019. Uh, Broken Arrow High School must be very proud of you. Did you imagine that after 30 years of teaching that something like this could, could happen?
2: No. <laughs> no. Uh, it It's funny because you just, you know, the way I look at it is I just go to work and I'm passionate. I try to be passionate. I try to connect with my students. I try to you know, work with them, give them some autonomy. I mean, I, I never dreamed that I would be, you know, receive awards for just doing what I feel like I love to do and having great students and having a great community that supports you. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been an, a very exciting time. What does you know, it meant to no. you
1: to, to have that acknowledgement?
2: Well, it's been a great year. I was a person who I can't say I was contained into the four walls of my classroom because obviously, you know, I'm not as far as an instructor and an educator, but as far as an advocate for education and for certain, you know, policy and legislation, I really was not a big, did not have a big role in that. Now, in my local community, I was always advocating for more STEM facilities and STEM equipment and STEM opportunities for my students and collaboration and cultural experiences. I've always been a big advocate for that wherever I've been. But as far as going to the state level and then the national level, not so much. But last year with our walkout, having the opportunity to actually, you know, be a voice as, as an educator and as someone who had this position, it's really changed my viewpoint of a, of a lot of things that the all-encompassing advocacy that's involved in being an educator. You know, my platform is about allowing students to have these ex- experiences to try to solve real-world problems and that they can, you know, realize their dreams that they can be world changers. And so on our local level, now we have passed a bond issue where we are building what's called an innovation academy. Initially, we were looking towards a STEM academy, but now we realize that it's, we want it to be innovative and we want it to encompass all disciplines. So I'm, I'm very happy to say that I've had a huge role in that, in the development of it, in the committee, and um, and will continue to have a role in that, which, which really excites me. So um, that's one of my passions. On the state level, I think sometimes as an experienced teacher, we have been in this profession for so long that we kind of get the attitude, well, you know, I know what I'd signed up to work for and I've done it before. So I'll just do it again. You know, pay doesn't really matter that much. I have this passion, like we're brainwashed to think this because we lived it for so many years, but younger teachers don't feel that way. They want the respect back. When I started my career, there was a lot of respect for the teaching profession and there was, you know, it was considered a noble profession and it it was just treated differently. And then we went through this phase where it's just, you know, it's underfunded. So we have this generation, this younger generation, the teachers that's like, hey, but we're not putting up with this. And I think that they have helped to inspire the more experienced teachers. And I like that about them. And so I think that whole experience for me And being a part of that and being a part of being able to, you know, have face to face discussions with the policymakers has been very enlightening and has been very rewarding because I do think that collectively, I don't think there's just a handful. The teacher of the year is not going to change anything, but the teachers of the state are changing a lot. (laughs)
1: Can you tell me about a teacher that changed your life or had an impact on your choosing to join the profession?
2: Yes, I can. Throughout my lifetime, I, I would say two of my passions have always been nature and sports. And um, so I grew up during the, you know, pre-Title IX and as I entered middle school, it was right at the height of the Title IX era. And I loved playing basketball. And once I got into uh, junior high, middle school, I had this dream that I wanted to get a scholarship, but there weren't any for women. And the opportunities for me to play in you know, a school setting, an organized women's basketball team, wasn't there. So as I got into middle school, we, um, the boys' basketball coach, who was, was Mr. Pazutti was his name. He was also the industrial arts teacher. He would open the gym so that we could go in the morning and shoot, and I would be the only girl in there. But he noticed how my passion and my talent, and so he approached the administration to start a, a girls' basketball team. But uh, it didn't come about materialize. So he did something that was very unpopular. He recruited me to play on the boys' team, and um, so that at that point in time, you know, was not necessarily the most popular. You know, decision that he had made, but he brought me in, and as I started practicing with the boys, all the uh, fathers were showing up for practice, and immediately, uh, when they realized that I was probably going to get quite a bit of playing time, uh, a girls' team was formed. So, for me, when I think about Mr. Pizzuti and his willingness to actually place his career on a, on the line, so that you know, he could give me an equal opportunity to play basketball. That really demonstrated to me the power of a principal teacher who would go to bat for someone that wasn't even one of his students. I wasn't in his class, but yet he saw my talent. He saw my passion and, you know, he decided gender shouldn't be what keeps me from pursuing what I want to do. So he gave me that opportunity, which eventually, because of that playing time on the girls team, uh, catapulted me into a high school career where I was All-State. And then eventually I did get a basketball scholarship to West Virginia University. So he was the first one that really impacted me.
1: So you teach environmental science and sustainable environment is you know, core to the principles of environmental science what made you choose this particular um, ecosystem and you know talk a little bit about what the students got from that experience
2: well i had been on a trip to kenya in 2004 And because I was a teacher, I was able to visit many different types of schools, the presidential schools, and some were way out in what we call the bush, which were just huts. Along and throughout Kenya, I started noticing these large ponds, and they just looked like green water. So I started asking a lot of questions, and they said, oh, that is Kenya's uh, project to combat protein deficiency. So basically what the government did is they said, if you will dig a hole, you'll line it, fill it with water, we will provide tilapia fingerlings and a bag of food and you can grow your own protein now. And um, so I was noticing all these ponds, but there was nothing in them. And uh, Maybe every once in a while I'd see a mouth, a fish up at the surface, you know, gasping for some oxygen. And I said, what are those? And they said, oh, those are old. They don't, Uh, they don't function anymore, but they explained to me the process and they said, the water's too dirty. And I said, you know, we could actually clean that water and we could uh, use the dirty water to grow plants also. And so this thought came in my mind, which I had seen from a workshop years earlier, somebody was teaching on aquaponic systems So as I came back to school and several years later, as I was teaching my students and we were having discussions through our curriculum on clean water initiatives and sustainable farming practices and methods, you know, that's when one student raised their hand and said, why can't we help them? You know, why aren't we doing anything to provide clean water and protein for these orphans and young people in another country? And So I said, I think we can and started discussing it and realized that there was an opportunity that we could actually work on something here in America and then take it over there and try to initially was to try to clean out a pond and see if we could make it work. As you know, things don't always work out the way you initially plan them. So we had to deviate from our initial plan and go a different direction but and we ended up building the entire thing the entire system the fish ponds the greenhouse the grow beds everything um, at an orphanage
1: as opposed to trying to clean up old ones that's incredible I mean connecting your students somewhere in Oklahoma to somewhere in Kenya is an extraordinary opportunity for them to experience the world virtually but be solving a problem that really is impacting kids their own age younger children and children far away how did they react to that and and how did you engage them in something that was so far from their experience
0: oh
2: it was not difficult to engage them Uh, i have found that this generation and probably for the last 15 to 20 years there is a very very strong sense of purpose in these young people and they have a passion to make a difference when they see that they can have an impact positively on others' lives or on cleaning up the environment or a solution for any problem. So engagement was the easiest part. The logistics was probably the most right. difficult part. Right. <laughs> so we went and on that trip, and then the following summer, we had an idea of then, the scope of it, and everything that was going to be needed, so we raised the money from my our our local foundation students who wanted to go. they had to raise their own money a couple of them I helped if they didn 't have access to the funds, we would help them out. We had a pool of students, and their parents were you know involved, and we went through a process of elimination and we We could only take a certain number because of where we were staying. We were staying at a medical clinic out in the bush. The space was limited, so we could only take between five and ten students. That forced us to really work with the native Kenyans, which was probably one of the greatest benefits to my students, was working side-by-side with people from a different culture and becoming friends with them and learning about their culture and, and solving problems because over here, you oh, the saw doesn't, you know, you just plug in a saw, you have electricity over there. So we didn't have any electricity. So we had to do everything by hand, et cetera, et cetera. The water didn't work. How are we going to put the pumps in? It, it, it just was a problem-solving process from day one. And the students loved it.
1: What do you think was the most important thing they learned about, you know, another culture uh, in terms of working together side by side?
2: The severe poverty was moving like that these I think that really was enlightening to them because they didn't understand what it was like to live on less than a dollar a day and to you know not have access to medical care or education I mean even in the United States I mean we have poverty but we still have access to education most people have access to medical care or food but when you're out there it's not there and I think that and the fact that, and this was very enlightening, when we went back into Nairobi to come back home and we go through a part of the city where there's a, probably a mile of homes that were probably $30 million or more, the, all of a sudden this inequity that is so exaggerated in a developing country became reality to them because they don't see it here in America as clearly. But there, it was so extreme that they started, I can't believe they're not helping. Why don't they build roads out there? Why don't they get them clean water? Why don't they do this? And I said, well, do we have any you know circumstances like this in here in, in America, in Oklahoma? And so it opened up a whole discussion. And um, so I think just the way the Kenyans live on so little, but yet they have a very strong spirit and they're very happy people. And that was, I think that was a lesson for them also. And the fact, I think environmentally, they got a bowl of water. That was all they got was a little bowl of water to take their shower in at night. And the girls were, how am I going to wash my hair? How am I going to do this? I said, you'll have extra water by the end of the week because you'll learn how to do it. And they did. And coming back, they said, oh my gosh, I waste so much water here. I waste so much food here. I waste so much time here. I mean, the waste. I think those were the most impactful. Yeah, things. that's that's
1: pretty profound. I know you, you did something pretty special between the high school and the community. I think you called it the Together Project. It was also about um, yes. making sure that you're actually changing the environment of where you lived, and I assume that was student-driven as well.
2: Yes, it's, that has been a very long-term and will continue to be a long-term collaboration between our school district and the city of Broken Arrow. And we've had a relationship with the city um, engineer, and the water quality control people for, for years, because we have a uh, a stream that, that runs alongside our um, high school campus. And there was a pond on the other side of the street. And years ago, they decided they were going to make it into actually a flood control pond. So they dug it all up and, you know, lined the bottom with rocks. And, and I just remember saying, Why are you ruining a natural habitat? We're developing so quickly. We need to have these green spaces in our town as we continue to grow. And that question, they really took it to heart and thought about it and said, you know, you're right. How can we reestablish the natural habitat, even though we need this? We need this flood control uh, pond. But how can we allow nature to also thrive in this area? And that's how this conversation came about. And then students became involved. What can we do that's a natural, sustainable way? So they came up with the floating wetlands, and now we're working on rain gardens, and we'll continue to expand out where we're starting to bring nature back, because if we can get the quality of the water right, then everything will come back, and um, then we'll get the bottom of the food chain correct. And then we'll start to have that sustainable system and a nice habitat. And the city—I mean, they want to. We're working at all of our waterways around the city now. So we will have elementary students doing certain certain things. We will have middle school students doing certain things, and then we will have our high school students doing other types of projects that will, you know, uh, require research and then application and design. And then we'll work with the city and it's been a fabulous partnership. That
1: is amazing and the opportunity for those kids to be truly part of the community, not not just in a tokenistic way where, you know, the school um, and you as the teacher is is thanked, but where they're actually contributing and they can pass those waterways every day and, and see the difference that they're making. I mean that that sense of accomplishment Um, is so different to what, quote-unquote, regular schoolwork must look like to them.
2: Yes, and it is. It's a sense of accomplishment, sense of making a difference that they realise they've had an impact on their community and on the future of their community.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm wondering if you have a story about a student who you feel you've touched their life in a way that is perhaps just you know, beyond the extraordinariness of the projects that you've run, and just beyond the opportunities that you've given within, you know, the environmental science domain.
2: Well, there's one that comes to mind that um, I have permission to share. Um, it's a young girl, and it, she's um, actually was uh, a Chinese girl that was adopted by a single mom to the one child policy. They decided to open up and say, "We, you can come over and adopt, you know, a baby girl. And so this lady goes over and brings back this girl. And fast forward 15 years later, she walks into my uh, AP environmental science class by mistake. It was a scheduling error. And she stayed for two days and decided she wanted to stay. So about six weeks into the school year, she, you know, we have been, she would stay after school and discuss things because uh, she was not driving. She still doesn't drive. So she um, she came and she said, you know, Mrs. Grotto, I'm not going to be here next week. My mom went through a surgery and there were complications and she's on life support and we're going to pull the plugs and so I have to go to California. That's where the funeral is going to be, and and she was so worried about missing her work because she's such a conscientious student. And I'm like, oh my goodness, don't worry about that, you know. So this relationship began to develop because she kept on, you know. I said, here's my phone number, and so we developed this relationship. She comes back, and a uh, few, maybe a few weeks back, her I get a call from her grandma, and she says, um, I need you to help me with this girl again. Now here she is, she's an orphan again, you know? And, um, she says, I don't know how to direct her for her, you know, future. And she said, you're the only person she talks about. So can you help me here? So I started talking to her about, uh, you know, her dreams. And I said, what are your dreams? You have I don't have any dreams. I said, you have to have a dream. Some do you, there's nothing that you've ever thought of is like, this is a dream. I want to do it. I want to be it. I want to go there. She said, well, yeah, when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to go to MIT, but I know I can't go to MIT. And I said, oh my gosh, you can go to MIT. You're smart enough. You could go to MIT. I said, you just need some leadership roles and you need a project. And so I had an environmental science club. She decided to run as president and she ended up undertaking and take on, she's the one who helped initiate and start the aqua for Tharaka, all of it. Okay. And she got accepted to MIT and several summers ago, you know, my husband and I were up there for her graduation and I look at her life and I look that and I think, wow. And I told her, I said, you have such an amazing story? You need to tell your story, but she doesn't, she doesn't care if somebody else tells her story. She just doesn't find it compelling to her. And I'm like, Oh my goodness gracious. So, um, but if it wasn't for her and her leadership ability and her technology, technological ability and her amazing intelligence, I'm not sure any of these things would have actually gotten off the ground. She was the one who started the web, our our website. She's the one who started, um, came up with the name and, uh, we did amazing fundraisers. I mean, we raised $20,000 in a year, to provide clean water, a well to a remote region, and then to provide all the supplies to build the aquaponic system. And she has never been to Africa, but without her, probably none of us would have gone. She graduated from MIT. She's now going back to Harvard. She took a couple years off. She's been working, but her plan is to go to Harvard grad school and get an MBA. She got her undergrad in biomedical engineering. And she's just thriving.
1: Oh, that is a fantastic, so I call that story, a fantastic story story. <laughs> I thank you so much for sharing it. And you say without her you wouldn't have had the project, but without you, she wouldn't have had her life and her dreams. So thank you for oh. all of the ways that you clearly are able to to touch your students. Before we go away, I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned your husband. I, I wonder what your family think about all of this, your projects, you know, your passion for the work, you know, crossing continents. To be able to provide clean water to children in Kenya and supporting all these children that, you know, aren't yours, um, but you feel so connected to and, and, and committed to supporting.
2: My my parents, my father's no longer with us, but my mom is still here and my mom's, both of my parents have been extremely proud of me. I mean, I was in pre-med when I went to college and, you know, still wasn't convinced until I met my college basketball coach that I really should go into education But my father was the one who always said, you should be a teacher. You can help young people. I see you You should do this. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be a doctor. And so my father has always been so proud of me and always was. My mother, my siblings, my whole extended family, and of course, my husband. I always say, the poor guy, I don't think he knew what he was getting into when he married me. But he has been incredibly supportive and has never in any way kept me from following my dreams and allowing me the, uh, the support that I need to pursue these things. And he just, he just thinks it's wonderful. Uh, we got married a little bit later in life and a, about a year into marriage, our marriage, uh, I, uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer and just received a lot of chemotherapy, which eventually I was not able to have children. So we've never had our own biological children, but we have you know, supported a girl in Kenya for years and years, put her through school, put her through college, put her through grad school. And she's, she was an orphan. And um, so she got married and they named their uh, son after Rich. So we kind of have a family in Kenya, which is another reason why I like to go there now because uh, it's now become a little more personal as well. But I, I would say my family is very proud of me and and has always been has always encouraged me to uh, continue to help young people. Good works
1: Sure, I'm, I'm sure to make the world a you better don't place. Feel like another thirty years of teaching would be a good idea, but I do. My goodness, <laughs> I mean, what you've given Broken Arrow High School and the other places that you've worked, what you've given your local community you've given to all of these students that you've talked about and you know multiple places in in Kenya and, and think of all of the the science that uh, your students leave with that they're able to take to other sustainable projects or future work that they do uh, it's really extraordinary the impact you've had Donna I, I feel honored to have spent this time with you and and to have met you and thank you so much for sharing your story with us
0: thanks for listening and learning with us Join our community and read our SHAPED blog by visiting hmhco.com slash SHAPED, H-M-H-C-O dot com slash S-H-A-P-E-D. You can follow HMH Learning Moments on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes of Teachers in America, including an upcoming interview with Rodney Robinson, the 2019 National Teacher of the Year. We hope you enjoyed today's show and will please consider rating and reviewing or sharing with your network. HMH Learning Moments is produced by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, The Learning Company. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.